We're going to be in Acts all morning this morning, so if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. It's, that's where it is in the New Testament. And if you're using one of the Bibles in the seats, it's around page 779. I think that's where it is. I want to mention, uh, I'm going to mention it probably regularly, particularly in the second service. Uh, We have a missions, our next time that we're trying to take a team to West Africa is in January 11th. It's uh, somewhere between the 11th and the 23rd. And if you're a college student, I just want to speak to you. That was timed for winter session. If you have a desire to go on mission, uh, here we account for your travel there and back. So you just need to come up with the money to eat while you're there and get shots and a visa and a passport and clothes. You know what I mean? But, we, but if you, we, I just want to tell you because it's in your winter session and maybe some of you have the interest in the time. We're in the middle of a series, uh, actually towards the latter end of it, about discerning the will of God. How do we know God's will, especially when we think we knew his will? We thought we were there, and, you, and then he doesn't turn out the way we wanted. That's the series, uh, that's the purpose of our time. Usually we ask this as individuals or as families. Most, I imagine most of us live most of our time in sort of that nut of myself or my family, But this question is also to be asked as a church, and that's sort of the pattern of these Sundays is um, we we take an idea and recognize it, and we preach it as a church with the the thought that you can go back and and do it as an individual or or with your family as well. Uh, But several weeks ago, we approached the question of faith. Is it, am I missing the will of God because my faith is too small? And very practically, we... Uh, examined the idea of tithing, that if, if um, God gave us the tithe to work out our faith before him in a regular and disciplined way, and whether it's our fellowship or as an individual, it's a great place to examine, is my faith small? And last week we talked about how we seek the Lord, you know, do we devote time to prayer and fasting? And we, we, we focused on that with the challenge of Take time this, this fall, take time this year to, to devote some time to prayer and fasting for whatever it is in your life that's important. And if, if you've got nothing going on in your life, man, I've got a list so, uh, of things to invite you in to pray for on behalf of our church. And this morning, we're going to look at the role that uh, God's revealed will plays, his, the Bible so a lot of times we're asking for the will of the Lord, we're asking for the will of the Lord, and all the time there's this little book sitting here that's full of instruction about the will of the Lord. And sometimes we miss him because we, we don't know what he's saying. And sometimes we think we know what he said to us, but it's important to return back to the word. When there's an issue in your life, it's important to dive back in and reread the word in light of that. It's amazing how many times in my life I have found myself going, I didn't even know this was here. And I feel like I've read this 10 times. Um, But it's because I came to the Bible differently 
that the Bible spoke to me differently. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at the word in light of, of our church, uh, whether it's the question here in Hokesson, the question of um, how do we build, how do we pursue uh, affecting this site and this facility in a way that is pleasing to the Lord and possible, or whether it's the question in Wilmington, how do, how do they rest in the will of God, find home in, in where he's placed them? Uh, both of those questions uh, should draw us back to the word, and that's what we'll do this morning. So we'll be in Acts. I'll say from the outset, uh, these questions, while they're church questions, for a pastor, they're personal questions. So I don't think a day goes by that I don't pray for my brothers and sisters in Wilmington. Um, and really think about God's will for them. And I don't think a day goes by where I'm not sketching a new floor plan on a napkin or, I mean, something from as flat as that to coming to the Lord wondering is, you have to wonder at some point, Lord, have I just missed your will? And, you know, I mean, I suppose, I suppose a pastor should wonder, is it me? <laughs> Which I have before the Lord and, and those are just low days and he sort of gives me a hug and a noogie and says, get back to work. But at the same time, uh, it has caused me to step back and derive church again. Is it possible that what I think church is supposed to do is a little bit off somewhere? I think the Lord would reward the willingness to go back and be a learner. And so I've tried to do that several times over the past several months. And this, this is what we're going to do, is we're going to derive church as a fellowship. What is church? And we're going to do it out of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a story. For those of you, if you've not ever read the book of Acts or you're kind of lost in Scripture, like I know this is Acts, but I don't know how it fits. Acts is the story of how the Holy Spirit built the church. Okay, so... The book of Acts, Jesus is a, is a, has a cameo role. He's got a minor role in Acts. He's got a few lines in the very first chapter, and he shows up a little bit later with Paul the Apostle. Otherwise, the Spirit is the main mover in the book of Acts. And the work of the Spirit is to build the church, to work through the faithful for the building of the church. And in fact, when the book of Acts starts, one of the few lines Jesus has is, hey, wait. I'm going to send the Spirit, and when the Spirit comes, you can get to work. And you can see it here. It's the eighth verse, Acts 1.8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And Jesus left. He returned to the Father They waited a few days, and boom, it happened. The Holy Spirit came down in a very visible way, like tongues of fire, and entered into the followers of Jesus, particularly the apostles, and they immediately began to speak. And through the power of the Spirit, they began to testify about the truth of Jesus Christ and about the will of God for the lives of men. And they were doing it, and through the power of the Spirit, as they were speaking, 
those words were projecting out in multiple languages so that people, there was a great festival in Jerusalem called Pentecost, and people from all over the world were there, all sorts of different languages, and when the apostles spoke, they heard it in their own tongue. And on that day, many came to know the Lord. This is the second chapter of Acts, what I'm describing. <clears throat> and the 41st verse summarizes the fruit of that day. It says, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. <clears throat> Before that day, it was Peter and the other, uh, the other 11 and some others, but not a large number. And after that day, a big church. And what we, we need to see here, this is how Acts, Acts teaches through narrative. It gives us a story, but the story has a point. So it's not teaching us through sort of precepts. It's telling a story, but if Acts were a person, he would tell a story and then he'd look at you and go, what does that mean? There's implications in the story. And what we see in Acts is that the Holy Spirit works through people to proclaim the truth of God to the lost, and the lost are therefore saved and then received into community, the community of God. That's the way it works. The Spirit works through people. People speak the truth of God. They proclaim the truth of God. And those who are in darkness find hope and are then brought into the community of believers. Right? It's not that the word's proclaimed and they believe and go about their merry way or they don't get a stamp like a get into heaven stamp and they go about their merry way. They, they believe and are received by the church. Notice verse 41 says 3,000 were added to the number. They, they were now made additional believers in the church. I would call this sort of the holy rhythm of Acts. Spirit works so that the mouth proclaims, so that the lost hear and are received into the church. That, that rhythm happens over and over and over again in the book of Acts. It becomes, it no longer even gets mentioned. By the time you're halfway through the book of Acts, it's happening under the surface. And as the reader, you just know it's happening. Spirit-filled, word proclaimed, those in darkness see light and are brought in. That's how the church is built. Every single person that is in the church of Jesus Christ was in darkness and has come to light. And that happened because the spirit filled and the word proclaimed. There's no one here. There's no one here who has hope in Christ that started any differently. And this is an essential element, an essential function of the church of Jesus Christ, is that it proclaims hope to the lost. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter the context, big, small, what language, what tribe, that's immaterial. For 2,000 years, this is how it's been working. The church has been built this way. Okay, that's how it happened. That's how it continues to happen. But I want to add something to it. Look here in verse 42. 
chapter 2, verse 42. This is sort of the day after the 3,000 came. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. So they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. The apostles continued. The apostles who were preaching, they new believers are now devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. It says, and to the fellowship. It doesn't say, and to fellowship. So it's not like they're going to the apostles' preaching and then to a chili cook-off. It's the apostles' teaching and, the, and essentially the needs of the fellowship. Needs, cares, the one-anothering uh, of the fellowship. It has breaking of bread, which at the very least, as though one could say this about the Lord's table, but at the very least, it's communion. But probably it's more than that. It's the spirit. It's the great spirit of holy communion, of unity, that exists among believers when they're one in Christ. Into prayer. Even though they're in the hope of the Lord, they still exhibit a dependence on God through prayer. So it's not like they got saved and now they're, they're good to go. They're just as dependent in the faith as they were uh, on, the way, on the way in. Same rhythm, by the way. Outside, the spirit works. The word is proclaimed and people are brought in. Inside, the spirit's gonna work. The word is gonna be proclaimed and the people will be transformed. Let me read 43 through Uh, through 47, so you see it. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. How? By the power of the Spirit. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You have two essential components of church taking place here. The first is the power of the Spirit, the words being proclaimed out externally to the lost so that they can be received in. That's the first thing. Now you have, through the power of the Spirit, the Word being taught in the ministry to those already in for their continued growth and maturity. They're both happening. They're both functional. And through both, the church is growing. The church grew through external proclamation. And here it says, through the internal transformation of the church, through the church growing and and growing together, growing in love, growing in peace, through them living and manifesting the consistency of God in their lives, it says, and all the people saw it, and the number was added. So, in other words, our testimony of us together, living our lives out together, is a witness, just as the proclamation is a witness. They're both essential functions. And they both have a holy rhythm in the book of Acts and on, right? It doesn't matter your context, big or small, what language you speak, what tribe you're from. For 2,000 years, this is how it works. 
This is fundamental to church. This is how it happened. It's how it happens. Okay, so I want to bring you somewhere else. Go to Acts 6. And if you go slowly, kind of read the titles, it just continues to happen. Peter heals a lame man. People come to the church. I mean, then people share stuff with one another in the fourth chapter. It's just one after the another. Acts is repeating this rhythm of faithfulness, power of the Spirit, proclamation, conversion, renewal. Then we get to the sixth chapter, and I'm going to read just the first few verses of the sixth chapter. And I'm really not concerned about uh, the subject of deacons or... or I'm looking at something else here. So let me just read the first verse and I'll explain it. It says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Okay, Hellenist is Greek. So the Greco-Roman, there's a problem in the church. And the problem in the church is it's actually a problem of racism taking place in the area of benevolence. So in this day and time, widows had no support. They were dependent upon benevolence to survive, and they're receiving in the church because the church has the power of the Spirit, and it's showing love. And so there are widows who are receiving meals within the church, but something, there's an uneven dispensation of grace. The Jewish widows are being preferred at the mealtime over the widows who have a Greek background. It ought not to happen and the problem arises. Now listen to what the apostles say. Verse two. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What, what is, uh, what's Peter saying here? <clears throat> or the apostles? I think he's saying, uncle. <laughs> can't, I can't do it. We can't do it anymore. The Twelve of us can't continue to manage church. Let me be clear here. I think he's saying that for them to continue, for the 12 apostles to continue to administrate the internal concerns of the fellowship, it will now come at the neglect of the external call to proclaim the gospel through the power of the Spirit to receive souls from darkness. He There's a sense of we can't continue to do both. He's not saying that the internal functions of the church are not important or not even not essential. He's saying they have to get done. You choose from among you, men who are full of the spirit and of wisdom, who will administrate and lead the internal functions of the church. He says, but we as apostles are called through the power of the spirit to proclaim the word of God to the world that is lost so that they might be received into the church. That's the picture. 
The picture is, as the church grows, you can imagine, as the church grows, the internal needs of that fellowship are increasing. Church is getting more and more complicated, and the demands there are going up, and there needs to be an adjustment. This, too, is the rhythm of Scripture, the, uh, the rhythm of the church. I don't know if it's a holy rhythm. It feels like an unholy rhythm sometimes. It happens all the time, all the time in many, many churches. I'll give you an example. Someone plants a church. A church planter who plants a church, he wants more than anything else, he wants converts, people coming from darkness to light. That's why you plant a church. You want people to come to Jesus. So whether there's 15, he starts with, or 20 or 30, right? his goal is grow deep in a community, reach out, share the word, through the power of the Spirit, proclaim the word to the lost that they might be received. Okay? Church planters are externally focused. They're apostolic in sort of their, their bend or their nature. All right? Well, people start to come, and they come to Christ, and that church grows from 30 to 50 to 75 to 100, and now a crisis happens in the life of the planter. Because now the needs internally feel like they're competing with the call externally. The programs of ministry feel like they're competing with the commissioned call of proclamation. What do you do? You can't forsake one to do the other. And you don't want to do them poorly. And the apostles here are saying we have to adjust the way we do things. We have to do things differently. And you'll see this. There's books written, volumes written on how churches, as they grow, go through in stages where everything needs to be reinvented. All the systems of church need to be reinvented. Big adjustments have to be made. These are the times when people say things like, "The church, I, I'm losing the church I grew up in, right? What's happening is, is the, in order to do the essential things that God's called the church to do, things have to change. And that's, that's what's happening here in Acts chapter 6. Notice what happens, by the way. Look at the seventh verse. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the first time the word multiplied has been used in Acts. So far, it's 3,000 were added to the number, and then more were added, and daily the number increased. Now the number was 5,000. It's been additive thus far. Now it's increasing by a function. It's clearly quite profound that the moment that the apostles recognize their own limitations and begin to release to the church the responsibility to do the internal functions, The doors are blown off the church. And it doesn't grow, it multiplies. This is how it happened, and it's how it happens. Churches grow, and they must adjust so that they do not forsake their essential purpose. 
to allow the Spirit to work externally and internally for conversion or for transformation. One more, one more view here. If you follow along in six, the next title I have is Stephen is seized. Maybe you have he's arrested. <clears throat> Stephen was one of the seven who was selected, by the way. And the Lord, the, through the power of the Spirit, he began to proclaim the truth of God in a pretty, pretty bold way. And he was therefore arrested. And he, he's so bold in his final proclamation that he is stoned to death for it. And that's at the end of the seventh chapter. The end of chapter seven, Stephen is stoned. <clears throat> and it, it, what is entering into the story of Acts now is, is pretty strong persecution. And I'll just read the first several verses of eight. This is speaking of the stoning of, of Stephen. It says, and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This is the verse I want to hang on though. Verse 4, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. I think this is the hinge in the book of Acts. The whole book of Acts swings right here, this little verse. Up to this point, it's been watching the church grow through the apostolic mission of the apostles themselves in the city of Jerusalem at one church. That's the picture you get. After this moment, through persecution no less, the members of the church get scattered throughout the region. They move away. But because the church is being built by the Holy Spirit, what ends up happening is they take church with them. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, they proclaim the word wherever they happen to go, and the Lord builds the church. So they go and settle in Antioch, and they go and settle in what we would call Turkey, and they go and settle in places like Cyprus and Italy and North Africa. They're going, they're going back and they're settling down, and what's happening is the Spirit's working through them in church. From this point on in the book of Acts, Jerusalem is not the, the main interest of the book. The apostles are not the main interest of the book. The one church is not the main interest in the book. The main interest of the book is the way that it multiplies like a virus. Until such point, by the end of this book, within one generation, Mediterranean Europe is infested with the message of Jesus. This is an essential function of the church. Not only do we proclaim through the power of the Spirit the truth of God externally, to receive lost souls into the promises of God. And not only do we continue to minister in the spirit, the word of God among those who are believers so they continue to grow in their hope and faith in God, but the church also is no respecter of boundary. God is no respecter of persons, no respecter of boundary, no respecter of race, no respecter of language, 
no respecter of government. The kingdom of God goes where the kingdom of God wants to go. It is not enough that there's a church here. As long as there's a place where church is not, God is sending. And this is an essential function of the church. It happened here. It happens through the whole book of Acts. It's happened for 2,000 years. Doesn't matter the context, big, small, language, tribe. It happens. It's, it's how the church operates. And at Sycamore Hill Church, we reduce this concept to God wants to grow, spread, and mature his kingdom. That's When we say grow, spread, mature, it's here. It was extracted out of the book of Acts. It's in the Great Commission. Go make disciples, that's grow, of all nations, that's spread, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. That's the maturity part. You can't pick one. They're essential elements of the church. You, know, you can't say, well, which one or which one are we going to do as a church? You can't. You, you can't do that. Pastor Terry and I, um, I'd say, I don't know, six, seven years ago, a church leader told us, quite wisely, I think, he said, churches can either be growing churches or churches can be spreading churches, but Rarely can a church do both. And man, we took that away, and what do we do with that? Because we have our logo. Grow, spread, mature. It's far deeper than that, but what do we do with that? Well, maybe he's right that it's difficult to do them, but it doesn't mean you just don't do them. As if you were a parent and you could say, well, I can love, God's called me to love this child and this child and this child. It's difficult to love them all. Do you therefore go, okay, I'm going to love that one? No. You have essential functions, essential purpose. And when we do the right things, the power of God shows up and you do the right things well. It's, uh, it's hard to do them all well. And I'll tell you what I see. When I think of our fellowship, what do I see? I, I think it's fair to say I see a church that's pretty good at attracting people who are already friends of church. We can get church folk pretty good. Not a lot of converts, I notice. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, because I will say this. Many people who've come into the walls of our church have thought they were Christian. It turns out, a few years later, they're kind of like, I'm not sure I was. <laughs> so it's a wonderful thing. You know, We're not trying to be trendy and just steal. I'm, I'm saying that's sort of the niche that we naturally carve. 
You know, maybe in God's great economy, he'd say, I wanted you to do that really well because down the street was a church that did something else really well. I don't know. I, I do know this. We're a local church. There's three essential functions that should occupy us, and we do one of them better than we do the others. We welcome church-friendly souls deeper into the Lord. I think, can somebody nod? I think that's accurate. Okay, I think that's about right. I just needed to make sure you were there. I do think there's a few things we could do better, though. Um, I will also say this. I think we minister to the souls of young people, children, uh, up through college with a devout heart. And so many of our converts are converts from the womb. I mean, they're born into our church lost and they find Christ here. So I'm not gonna disregard that level of evangelism, that internal evangelism to embedded lostness. Our children are born lost. Don't we know it? Uh, So that matters. But to the, to the perspective of proclaiming the word of God through the power of the Spirit outside the walls of the church, I never, I'm never comfortable. I'm, uh, it's just not the, maybe it's just not the way I think. I don't think it's the way we think. You know, we're pretty much the same DNA by this point. Little, little examples. You and I probably don't notice the parking lot anymore. If you're a first-time visitor, I imagine you notice the parking lot. I imagine if you're a first-time visitor, you're wondering, how do I get into this building? Where's the entrance? You know, but once you're in, you're proud of the austerity of it all. You're like, we're humble. <laughs> it's easy to be proud of it. It's funny how the internal perspective and the external perspective can be at odds with one another. Because the internal perspective is, we don't need stuff. We are here to meet God and here to be together. And that's fine. But if in our sort of rugged proudness of our own austerity, we're saying to people, I mean, where else in 19707 do you park in the gravel? You know, most of the SUVs in this neck of the woods have never, ever been off-road. I mean, the roughest it is is the little hump in the car wash. That's it. I mean, that's when, that's when they go off-road is that little hump in the car wash because it rained the day before and their car wasn't in the garage. You know, and yet we're like, come on down and park in our mud. It just, that, that feels to me like um, out of balance in my own soul. I think, uh, so, yeah, if I'm sharing it with you. I've gone through it double. So just take a share, a market share of, of the pain. We have Piedmont. They play, they play t-ball on our field, on our property. Like I've never gone out. They came here. I've pulled up in the parking lot before and been like, what are all these cars doing here? 
Somebody's in my spot. You know, I, I want what those folks, chances are, you and I know in our communities, not just folks, our communities across Newcastle County, all the way up through Route Highway 1 in Pennsylvania, it's fair to say three of the four people we're close to don't have a meaningful walk with the Lord. Three of the four people that matter in my life in this area, outside of this fellowship, are lost. Just like I was before the Holy Spirit worked to proclaim the word that drew me in. And they're on my property. And I wonder what they, look, what they think when they look at uh, our gravel. They must think, there must be like, I think it's a church. There's an old sign in the front. There's got to be easy, like 35 people that meet there on Sunday. I'm not saying that this answer is whether we should build or not. I'm saying that it exposes for me, I do not love very well. I don't love all sorts of people the same way. I love you way better than I love them. You love you way better than you love them. Chances are we probably just love ourselves pretty well. And everyone else sort of gets the leftovers. I don't mean that to be harder than it is, except to say there's an essential function of God's church that is not what it ought to be and which should make us uncomfortable. And when I'm encountered with, oh, I don't know if we can build, oh, this, not the other, one of my knee-jerk reactions is to make the vision smaller, make it smaller. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Again, I don't mean this as like to drive the decision, except to say, I think the last thing God wants us to do is to make smaller vision that fits inside of us. I think the Lord goes, you can't even understand how much I want to do with you. I don't have a, I have a challenge for you, but it's not quippy. It's not an event. It's not a thing. I'm not guilting you to go talk to Piedmont T-ballers. Though somebody here, that's probably the natural response of the right sort of impetus. I am going to challenge you in two ways. One, I'm going to challenge you to seek to build a habit of remembering who you once were before God met you. If you can remember you were once a slave in Egypt and that God split the sea and God fed you and God carried you through the wilderness, if you remember that, you will look at the foreigner and the alien among you differently. You will. That's this table. Remember. Do this in remembrance of me. How can we even appreciate the grace of Jesus if we're forgetful of what we needed? That's the first thing. Is I'm going to try to say it regularly. Let's just remind ourselves of where we came from. That's number one. Number two is this. I'm going to ask you, ask you to daily pray with me. When you get up out of bed, wherever it is you first start to converse with the Lord, at whatever point, Lord, today, help me to love the lost a little more. That's it. Help me to love the lost a little more. Help me remember who I once was before you started just gloriously painful work in me and help me to love the lost a little bit more. I think everything else will work itself out. Because what is really the limitation is our, the capacity of our soul right now to really understand the will of God 
and he does want to do more. Let me pray. Let's bring this to the Lord's table. Lord, we do want to know you better. Remind us of who we were, all that you've done and continue to do, Lord, even if sometimes you have to expose that in uncomfortable ways. A continuing growth of love, Lord. Make us people, we just need more love in us. Love for one another, love for you, and love for those who aren't, aren't here. Lord, the lost never come into the building to a committee meeting. They're never part of a decision. They're never on a team. They are an unspoken voice unless we listen to your spirit. Make us people full of love. In Jesus' name, amen.